friends, we're in the book of Philippians, and if you've been with us in all this summer, we'll really come through already like uh, eight or ten weeks looking at Philippians. And we're starting chapter four today, and there's three more sermons in Philippians we're going to be looking at because Paul, the apostle who wrote Philippians, had some things to say to this church he loved. And remember, Paul is writing from prison. He was attached to a Roman guard, likely, or at least being watched by a Roman guard. And he was not able to be with the people, but he was still loving God, pursuing God, praying for the church that he could not be with. And he had to find other ways to send messengers and helpers to come to the church to give instruction, help, encouragement, and strength to the church who were missing him and who he was caring about from a distance, a geographical distance and a cultural difference because he was in a Roman prison and the people were free, but they were under persecution in their culture as well. So it's a very interesting climate in which um, Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi. And in our day, friends, it's an interesting climate in which we're engaging in this service ourselves because our culture is messy. Our culture is often struggling. There's all sorts of views of going on around us. There's a lot of chaos politically, culturally, uh, racially, um, economically. There's a lot of troubles going on in our midst. And so in the middle of that, Paul has enough sense of how to talk to the people and to help them think through how to live at this time and season of their life. And so Philippians chapter 4, let me just read verses 1 through um, 7 here together. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You may have a different version, but uh, this version I think will be on the screen. And it's something we're going to preach on today. Philippians 4 verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Synchtiki to agree in the Lord. These are two women we'll talk about in just a minute. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names, are in, uh, who, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful passage. Um, some of that you maybe have read, thought about, or heard before. Some of it may be brand new or we haven't thought about. We're going to look at that whole section this morning. Chapter 4, these are Paul's concluding remarks to this church of Philippi. The first three chapters we've already looked through the last two months And it's a beautiful sense of both theology and practical living that he's talked about. And that's what often Paul does. He teaches us how to think theologically, get God's thoughts, know your identity, know who you are. And then he challenges us to live a certain way, to live in wisdom, live practically according to what's true. Don't just live by your opinion or what the culture says. Live by what's true theologically. And so the sermon's called The Lord is at Hand because that's what 
he's going to appeal to here. The Lord is at hand. No matter what you're going through, no matter what our day is going through, no matter what you are dealing with personally, the Lord is at hand. So Paul appeals to all the believers in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. And he uses this very affectionate language. He says, my beloved, my brothers. There's a sense of family. There's a sense of belonging. And this day we could say, my brothers and sisters. I'm just saying he's talking about, you're part of my family. And Paul is, is leading off in this closing chapter, my brothers, my family, my brothers and sisters. There's a sense of affection he has, and he calls them his beloved at the end of verse 1. <sighs> Who are you loved by? Who loves you? You may have a family member or two who love you. Maybe you have a lot of family members who love you. Maybe you have some friends who love you. But Paul is saying, to, in his language, in his way, you, the church, are my beloved, he's saying to the Philippian church. The Lord Jesus calls you his beloved. When you're one who's a follower, one who trusts in the Lord God, who has a heartfelt surrender, commitment, and can I say the word, adoration of Jesus. He loves you. He is, even if you don't love him, he still loves you. Even if we fail, we stumble, we fall, we fall into trials, tribulations, addictions, situations, even for seasons of our life, the Lord loves you. He doesn't give up on you. I've been a follower of Christ for a lot of years of my life. I'm like, you know, I'm in my 60s and I started following Jesus as a 10-year-old. But there's been seasons in my life where I say that love for God waxed cold. And there's times I had doubts or struggles along the way. But the Lord still loved. He still calls back. He woos back. He invites back. He welcomes back. Because he knows that we are frail people. None of us have it all together. We are a mess often in our head and how we think and how we feel. And we fall into things that even if we know we shouldn't have, we still do. And the Lord somehow says, come back anyway. I know what you've done. I know what you're like. I'm not the one who gives you shame. I'm not the one who just shames you. I'm the one who gives you grace and invites you home. You're welcome back. Come back. You're clean in me. Come back and be new. Be refreshed. Be redeemed. Start over. And so this is a beautiful truth about when you're in the beloved. The Lord Jesus loves us, and we're in the beloved when we're in him. And so I invite everybody here to check your pulse. Are you in the beloved? Do you love the Lord? Does the Lord, do you know the Lord loves you? Even if you've wandered away, even if you struggled, even if you're struggling right now, today, or last night, the Lord says, come on back. You're my beloved. I want you. I want you. I love you. I'll forgive you. I want you to be new. You are new. Live like it, but I'm here to help you live like it. So even if we had old news or bad news, the Lord says, you're beloved. Come back. Stay with me. Walk with me. And so it's a beautiful thing he's saying here to his church. Now, then he has a personal pastoral appeal, not just more of this 
uh, well, it's a pastoral appeal, but now he's very specific. And what he's showing he wants is he's closing this book. He wants reconciliation or right standing with people who have been broken apart. If there's something that's caused them to be divided or stirred them up or caused them to separate in a way, and they're both in the Lord, he says, be reconciled. And the challenge in this closing chapter is maybe some of you and maybe me, we're called to be those who help others reconcile. Maybe we don't personally need reconciliation with anybody that we're aware of or not in the church anyway, but maybe we're somebody, a third party, who could help others be reconciled. So notice what he says here. He says, I'm entreating, this is verse 2, I'm entreating or I'm urging, I'm trying to persuade these two ladies. Now, I'm not picking on ladies here. And Paul's not, because, you know, we've had men who have been, remember what happened between Paul and Barnabas, and there's been a lot of other separations that were man to man. This one was woman to woman. And he says, I'm urging, I'm entreating, I'm persuading, I'm begging, Euodia, and I'm begging Syntyche, I can't say her name well, to what? Agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. In other words, they weren't agreeing. There was a great separation between them somehow. Yes, he says in verse 3, I ask you also, true companion. Now he doesn't tell us who this companion is. So somebody he's writing to, true companion of his, we think, help these women. Here's somebody in the church. He's saying, you're a true companion of mine. Help these ladies. Who are they? There are two people that have labored side by side with me. These were two friends of Paul. They had worked with Paul. They had served in ministry somehow with Paul in the church of Philippi. They've served side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, who is a guy. Somehow these three, these two ladies and Clement, were at least three people in the church of Philippi named who had walked together, served together, joined arms somehow together in the church and they, they worked with the rest of my fellow workers. So there's a multiple a group of people that are in the church of Philippi. And who are they? All of them, including the two ladies, whose names are written in the book of life. Wow, these are not just strangers. These are not people, but there's a sense, you know what the book of life is in the Bible? Old Testament, New Testament, is the concept of there's a book of life that God has track of. And if your name's in that book of life, you have eternal life. You have a future because this is a book of life, eternal life. And however you became a follower of God in the Old Testament, but certainly now in the New Testament, you become a follower of Almighty God, a follower and follower of, uh, of Jesus the Christ. Your name is written in the book of life. And Revelation talks about the book of life an awful lot. Some of the times of the book of life, it says these people never entered the book of life or their name was blotted out or was never written down because they had hard hearts towards God. They had a difference with God. They, they rejected him or they stepped away or they never even believed to begin with. So that's a great, scary place to be if your name is not in the book of life because the book of life is concept in Revelation. is The books are opened and you see who belongs, who's in, who's, who's had this heart of submission to God. They're in the book of life forever. Eternity, forever eternal, with God. A beautiful thing. They're in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life is another 
uh, language that's in the Bible. In the book of Revelation, the lambs, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, has a book of life. People that by his blood that was shed for them, their names are written in his blood in the permanent book of life. They've been saved. They're eternally secure. They're going to be unburdened. They're going to be full of peace for eternity. Their names are in the book of life. And so your name wants to be in there, by the way, right? And it's not in there by just wanting to, to say, hey, I belong. No, you don't just belong. None of us belong on our own merits. All of us are outside the book of life because of our own sin, our own choices, our own opinions, our own way, our own self-will, our own hardness of heart that we're born with, and we often live this way the rest of our life. But there's others, hopefully you all who are watching, you are in the book of life if by faith you trust in the work of Jesus on the cross for your sins, that he died for you. Not You didn't earn your way to God, but he died a self-sacrificing life in your place. I deserve it, you deserve it, but he died in your place, and he invites all who believe and trust in him who depend on him for their salvation, they become new. They're a new person. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for wiping away, forgetting, doing away with my sin and how I've lived. And so here's what he's saying. He goes, ladies, these two ladies, hello. You guys used to be fellow ministers together with me. You and Clement and the others and all the fellow workers, we're all together. But now something has caused you to divide. And his appeal is, don't let it divide. Don't let something there or culturally or by your opinion or your hardness of heart divide you from someone else. And so he's, he's entreating them, agree in the Lord. Okay. It doesn't just mean agree with each other. Do we always agree with each other? Oh my goodness, we have different opinions about a whole lot of things. You might have different opinions about parts of the Bible or certain doctrines or certain teachings or your own opinions of how you grew up or what you think God should have done or the way he should have done it or how the church should run or how, how our culture should live or how we should... How are we going to handle vaccines or masks? We're going to let division over that separate us as people? He doesn't say agree on everything. He says agree in the Lord. What's the Lord calling us to? What's the Lord done? That's where our unity is. And we're going to have incidental opinions on all sorts of things. I don't agree with everybody in our church I'm a part of. We get along fine. We feel there's a unity in the Lord there, but it's in the Lord. We have, I won't tell you, just today, just today, there were things said to me in our church lobby at our nine, at 11 o'clock service, and I had to sit down with a person and talk and listen, and then I had another one after the church service who says, Pastor Doug, do you have a minute? I go, here we go, here we go. When you know you have that little minute right before the service or right after the service, you know it's not going to be good necessarily. No, at times it is good, but I'm just saying, I was prepared. And so I hear comments, and it's like, Pastor, why are we doing this this way? Aren't we, shouldn't we be doing it this way? Shouldn't we be doing that? And I'm not the pastor. I feel bad for our senior pastor. I'm glad he's in that role now. I used to be in that role, and I'm just kind of like his associate, so we'll let him make those decisions. But anyway, but I'm with him. We're, he and I are together well. I'm just saying, people have 
different opinions on all kinds of things. Even in this room, no offense, you guys, no, no, nothing personal here, but I'm sure if we all lined you up and you all tried to go down a list of what you think about things, within three or four questions or maybe six or eight questions or maybe the first question, you're going to have a different opinion. Okay, are you in the Lord? Walk in the Lord. Walk with unity and agreement with what the Lord says about you, your identity, and what he's doing. And the church isn't about me. You know, my salvation isn't just me. And we think sometimes it's like myself. No, it's, in one sense, our salvation. The Lord's called us to be his people, and collectively we're his church, not just me. I'm not the only one who's the church and knows what's right. Right? Together, we have to walk together and what the Word of God says, as best as we can, individually and together, honor the Lord and His Word so that we're walking together in unity in the Lord, agree in the Lord, what the Lord says, not what I say, and not my opinion. And so I want to just affirm what Paul is saying here. Agree together in the Lord. Let the Lord be your your conscience and your guide. Now, remember what he said Earlier in this book, Philippians chapter 2, I think we have it on the screen here, verses 1 to 5, he's applying this right now, even though it was two chapters ago in our study. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, look what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, one to each other, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and that's a key right there, underline that word, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now the passage goes on, but we're going to stop right there right now. So here Paul is applying this to these two ladies and to the fellow workers in Philippi. And he's he's challenged them theologically to think this way earlier on in this letter, and now he's already applying it in the same letter for how they need to live this out. Friends, we need to be those people who continue to love each other as Christ loves each other and consider others as more significant than ourselves. So it's not about my way. It's not even my church. It's not even Pastor Jamie's church. It's his church. It's his church. And when we say it's, you know, I've had to guard my lips at times because, hey, my church, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's not my church. When I was a senior pastor, it's not my church. I was the appointed pastor of that church, but it's his church. And it's always about him, what he is saying to the people of God, not to any one person. And so when churches get in little fistfights verbally, or not fistfights, but you know, verbal fights, or disagreements like, I think it should be this, no, I think it should be that, no, I think... it really doesn't matter what you think in that sense. You need to speak your opinion, but it's what does the Lord think? What's the Lord want? What's he doing among us? And you know, there's a lot of big churches out there, and there's people that are just hanging on. They're just kind of showing up and 
going through motions, but if you talk to them, I'm not sure they're all engaged. This church, I believe you all are engaged. You guys care. You've been with this. You're staying with it. And there's a beautiful life that's being made in TLCC. I believe that from my heart of hearts. There's a good work going on. So don't worry about how many and if they've come, if they all live all over the place and some are just watching online. It doesn't matter in that sense how many. It's not how many, it's what kind. Who is everybody? What's in our hearts here? And so don't worry about the numbers. You know, think about the soul and the heart, the quality, what we're about together let the Lord do his work, agreeing in the Lord. Now, so what's true about them? I mentioned that. They were laboring together. Um, they were in the book of life, and the scripture talks about the book of life. But life in the Christian community can get messy. And so we still have differences. And so Paul never identifies exactly what their quarrel or their divided spirit was about. But he just called them out respectfully, entreating them to live in harmony in the Lord together. And then he even said, my companion. Well, who's the, true command? who's the true companion that he's referring to? We don't know. But the word in the Greek language has the root of they're a true yoke fellow. In other words, they're yoked together. This companion was somebody who was yoked with Pastor Paul and was somebody who was with him. And he's urging them so that they would be the one to help these ladies find unity and peace. And so Christians don't necessarily agree, but we need to agree in the Lord. So that's that first section here. But now we're going to turn the corner and look at a section that most of us are very familiar with, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your translation in King James may say your gentleness, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, hearts and minds, how we think, in Christ Jesus. So Paul is calling the Philippian believers to rejoice in the Lord always, again, again. Now, where is he writing from? Prison. He's somehow still rejoicing in the Lord chained, or at least watched, by a Roman guard in a prison cell. And he's able to say, rejoice in the Lord always, even in imprisonment, even in this kind of dilemma, even kind of shackled himself. Rejoice, or have joy. And that's not necessarily happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is good. Be happy, right? We, should be, we want to be happy people. But happiness is tied to immediate circumstances. Hey, that was fun. I'm happy. Hey, I'm going on this vacation. We had a great stop at such and such. I'm so happy we could go there. And we left there, and now we're not happy anymore. So it's like, I like this restaurant. I'm so happy they have this new meal out. 
Then we leave the restaurant. We can't get that food anymore. Okay, so happiness comes and goes. It's based on temporary or situational or occasional circumstances. It's okay to be happy. In America, we say the pursuit of happiness. Well, okay, whatever that means. But how about pursuit of joy? Let's pursue something that lasts, okay? But here he says, have joy in the Lord. Rejoice and have joy in the Lord. And what's that based on? It's based in trust, in a sovereign, living God. My circumstances are high, they're low. I feel like sometimes I'm in the cellar, I'm in the pit. Other times I'm on a mountaintop. That's happiness. But joy is steady because there's a sovereign, living, loving God that we trust in. That no matter what we go through, in the high times of our life and the low times of our life, the Lord God is right there. He's with you. He's with us. He doesn't forget us. He's engaged with us. And so we have this great sense of the living, sovereign, truthful God is with us no matter what. That's where our joy can rest in because we're never forgotten. And so other people may forget us. And when you get into trouble, financial trouble, relational trouble, job troubles, health troubles, you know, depending on who you listen to, they're sometimes bringing good news, sometimes they're not bringing good news. Some people are staying with you, some people are not staying with you. It ebbs and flows all the time. But then there's the Lord. The Lord is with you. He's with you. He stays with you. He engages with you. He won't forget you or forsake you. And so there's this amazing sense of trust that we can have. That's where the joy is. Lord, nothing can harm me that you aren't involved with. You're right there with me. So even if it feels terrible, like I'm heading down a road or a struggle's coming my way and I can't see my way to the future, Lord, you're still here with me. I'm not forgotten. I'm in the beloved. I belong to you and you belong to me. Lord, you're going to get me through this no matter what. Oh, my goodness. What a trust, what a life we can have. And we can rejoice in the Lord because he's the Lord. He's the strong one. He's not the fickle one. He's not coming and going in our life. Look what he says then. He says, verse 5, let your reasonableness, or one version may say gentleness, you know, in uh, King James said, let your gentleness be known to all men. This one's in the English Standard Version. The root is a hard word to define, but reasonableness makes sense in the Greek language. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. And so here's an amazing truth here, reasonableness. And that's critical and crucial in when we're a community together. People need to be reasonable in the Lord with what's going on. Not jumping to conclusions emotionally. Oh, look what just happened. Oh, look what's happened. Even when your pastor had to be gone for a, a few months to just rest and then to have this surgery, let's be reasonableness in the Lord about this. The Lord is at hand. Pastor Jamie is not forgotten. This church is not forgotten. The Lord is at hand. He's present with you. He's present with the Hawkins, which is beautiful. And so it's a disposition that seeks what is best for everyone and not just for yourself. Oh, I miss our pastor. Oh, I miss this. Oh, this situation came in my life. I can't do this anymore. This happened to my home or this happened. Okay. Yeah, life is hard. Life's messy. 
And I don't know if it's this week or next week or this next month, but I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but you know, you got some mess coming, friends. I have a mess coming. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good right now, but there's, I know there's going to be a mess someday again. I've got a lot of family messes, but the Lord is present. The Lord meets you in your mess. He meets you in the life that we're, we're living here. And so the Lord is at hand. And that's the beauty about this here. Now, this is an interesting passage, verse. The Lord is at hand. It's tucked away in here. We often skip over this verse. We talk about rejoicing in the Lord, and then we go to the next thing about how to pray. Don't be anxious. But no, no, don't miss this little phrase in the middle here. The Lord is at hand. So in these beautiful verses that we have on coffee mugs, and we sometimes print in our Bibles or have hanging on a banner on our wall of our house, you know, now we, the Lord is at hand should be right in the center of that. And the Lord is at hand means it can mean any one of three things. It can mean he's literally at hand right here, right now. Or it could mean he's near. In other words, he's, gonna, he's close by. Or he's going to come back and approach in a final way. The Lord is near. His return is near. In one sense, they're all true. He's going to come back. Another view is he's near. He's close at hand. The other one is he's right in the middle of your mess. So, friend, whichever one it is, the Lord's at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's here now. He's nearby if needed. And he's still coming someday. Hey, how can you? That's a trifecta right there, my friends. The triad. That's pretty awesome. So choose whatever definition you want. The Lord's near. It's awesome. It's amazing. And he goes on to say then in verse 6, because of that, because let your reasonableness, because the Lord's at hand, Therefore, do what? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's petitioning to the Lord, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 35, 25 to 34. Let me just turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. I'm not going to read it all. Many of you may be familiar with this passage. But Jesus is speaking about the anxiety that his disciples could easily have. And this audience, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of, probably hundreds of people listening to him as he quotes these, these, what we call chapters, they weren't, he didn't, these weren't chapters, these, this was his speech, so to speak, his message. But notice what it says in verse 25 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Okay, if we're going to fret and be anxious about tomorrow, are we going to add another hour to our life? Probably the other way around. We're probably going to lose an hour, okay, or more with anxiousness. He said, you're going to just worry about everything all the time? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. You know, lilies can be 
provision to take care of your clothing and need, however you want to frame that language here. The lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. In other words, they're not fretting. They're still growing. They're working. We have to work, but we don't have to fret. Yet I tell you, verse 29, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these beautiful plants. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, they fret after stuff, always fretting after more stuff, more stuff, the right stuff, the best stuff, the nicest stuff. Fret, fret, fret. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right calling, his right standing in your life, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, there's another therefore. Why is it therefore? It's therefore to to know something. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In other words, there's more frets coming tomorrow. So why be anxious today? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you have troubles today? Yes, I do. I'm thinking about them almost when I go to sleep and when I get up. You know what? Tomorrow, there's probably going to be some new anxiousness. Maybe a few of these will be solved today's. But I know some are still coming. I can sense it. I know some things coming down the pike. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know. So am I going to add another day to my life by fretting over it? No. And so it's a beautiful thing here. And here's Paul chained to a guard in a cell who's applying the principle of Jesus to these people in Philippi. Don't be anxious. Okay, he says, don't be anxious. God's peace is like, um, it's a closeness that comes to you. You can wear God's peace. I think he's saying that. There's a sense where, let me go back to the passage here, there's a sense where his um, peace that God gives is something that he meets with us in those alone moments when we're not, you know, our flesh, our mind wants us to be anxious. But if we can learn to think his thoughts and know that he's here, he's right by us, let it be reasonable. The Lord is at hand. Are you going to be forgotten? No. He, just like Jesus said, he feeds the birds. He, goes, he clothes these, these lilies of the field. He meets the needs of those he loves and he created. And those are just, those are non-humans. Those are just, I mean, they're mammals if they're birds and they're, they're plant life. And he cares about those, but they don't have a soul. He cares about people and their soulishness and their hearts. He wants what's best for us and good for us. And so it's a beautiful thing he's saying here. I read a book about seven years ago. I took a lot of people through it. It's called Running Scared. The book's called Running Scared. It's by a Christian pastor who's also a biblical counselor. And he speaks about anxiousness in our life. 
And he makes a point in the book that has challenged me ever since. And I had about 40 people that went through this book with me in a summer. Running scares the book. He's, and he makes the point in the book, we appreciate visionary people, people that can see the future. And they're kind of like, hey, let's go this way. We're going to be this kind of way. And he, and he makes the point that we become visionary sometimes about the wrong things. We become visionary what, about what's going to go wrong. And so we can taste it, feel it, see it. The writing's on the wall. This is going to be messy. Or I'm going to be in a hardship or our family's going to be in a hardship or our church is going to be in a hardship or all the things that we think in our mind. We have vision for what's going to go bad, go wrong. And the question is, are we right? The answer is, most often not. And so he says, his quote, but I love it, we easily become false prophets. We easily become false prophets because we are saying or thinking what's going to go wrong, and we're not right. What did they do with false prophets in the Old Testament? Yeah, whoops, stone them, get them out of there. If you weren't 100% right, you were called a false prophet. There was a few prophets that prophesied from the Lord and said what's going to happen to their nation or to a people group or to a village, and it did. They prophetically said what was to come, and God gave them clear vision for that. But most of us are false prophets. We think we see what's going to happen negatively in our personal life or our family life or our church life or even our country or whatever way you want to look at it, and we're not going to get it right. Because we're not in charge. <laughs> we're just looking and we're speculating. And then we speculate in our mind and we're not going to get it right. And we become anxious over what's false. We're seeing what's going to go bad. And so we go down this road in our mind and it becomes our soul. We can't sleep at night. We wake up in the middle of the night. We sometimes we're, we're like a sour voice to other people. We're just, we just tend to prophetically say things that are wrong. And so his challenge is don't become false prophets. And don't because anxiousness often comes by our false prophecies. And so just the opposite. Remember what Paul says. Remember what Jesus said. Don't be anxious about your life, about today or even tomorrow, because tomorrow's going to have a whole other set of problems anyway. So wait for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just deal with today. Walk with the Lord with truth, commitment, submission to Him. Seek His kingdom first. Seek Him first, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow yet. Tomorrow's not here. It's going to have its own stuff. And so it's a beautiful reminder to us. And he says, so instead, by everything, by prayer and petition or supplication or asking of the Lord, with thanksgiving, let your Request be made known to the Lord. Marinate. I love that word. Marinate your prayer in thanksgiving. In a thankfulness, you bring every situation to God. What situations are troubling you right now? Personal? Family? Friendship? Health? Church life? Job life? Home life? You're married or you're not married? that life, what's troubling you? Marinate that in thankfulness. Let it soak. 
and what you can be thankful for. What has the Lord done? What is the Lord doing? Who's in your life to walk with you? Who has God graced you with? How, is, how has God graced you? So it's not just who, it's how. His goodness, his care, his provision, his, what he's already doing. Are we thankful? Are we thankful? And he says, when we marinate our prayers in thankfulness, we will have the peace of God. We can, are there troubles? Yes. But Lord, here's my plea of my heart. Here's what I don't know. Here's why I'm not sure where this is going. But Lord, I'm thankful for this and this. I'm thankful for you. I'm of your beloved. There's other people who are with me on this. And I don't know what tomorrow has, but Lord, you're here. You're near. You're with me. You're with us. We're not forgotten. We're not abandoned. And you care about the lilies of the field. You care about the birds of the air. You have homes for people that don't have homes. You find, And these are things where the Lord is good. He's near. And we're beloved to the Lord. And so God's peace guards our hearts. Just like Paul has a soldier likely chained to him to guard him, he's saying, the peace of God you'll be chained to. You will have a chain of God's peace around you, surrounding you. It's like, nothing's going to happen to me that the Lord is not involved with. Nothing's going to happen in my world that the Lord isn't there for me and with me. I may not like where this is going. I don't like what I've gone through, but the Lord is near. He's around me. He surrounds me, and we're beloved of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So he's present, he's active, and he rules over creation. Jesus rules over creation. Remember how Jesus stopped a storm? Multiple storms. How Jesus feeds the lilies, uh, grows the lilies of the field, feeds the birds of the air. The, crea- the God who's our creator rules over our life. And our president doesn't, our governor doesn't, uh, the United Nations doesn't, the cartels in Mexico don't. These are not the ones who rule the world. Almighty God rules our life in spite of what's going on around us here. So for all of us here today, friends, and those watching today, what is in your heart? What leads you to anxiousness? Really, I mean, it might be good to privately write that down. Because if it's in your heart or your mind or your conscience or you go to sleep at night, you wake up in the morning, you wake up in the middle of the night, maybe writing it down is good just to get it out of the inner person on a piece of paper. Not so everybody else has to know about it, but so you something about writing it down and being honest about this with the Lord, nobody else has to even know. What's, what are you anxious about? You can tell the Lord, but write it down and then pray through that with thankfulness of what he is doing in your life. And let the thankfulness for what you are thankful for in the graces that come from others or the grace from God that comes to you, let that marinate around what your need is, what you're anxious about. And is it going to be solved tomorrow? Probably not. No offense. But every day, write it down and let the Lord 
in thankfulness do something in your soul and your heart that is in the quietness of your own place? And what is reasonable for you to recall? What is reasonable? Because we're so caught up in, oh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Panicky, anxiousness. What's reasonableness to recall? What has God done in your life to this point? What is he doing now? How does he care about you? Wow, there's a reasonableness in spite of what you're going through. And where is the Lord? He is near. He's near. And whether he's literally near in your specific situation, or whether he's nearby to call on him, or whether he's near, he's going to return anyway, all three. But the Lord is near. And if we remember that, he's near, and he's not forgetting us. We have the peace that surrounds us in spite of the jail or the prison or the situation or the health or whatever we're going through, the Lord is near. So let me just pray for us right now. Oh, Christ the Solid, rock I stand.